Thanks for checking out this message from River Valley Church in Boise, Idaho. We hope that it encourages you and inspires you. For more messages like this, make sure to check out our podcast. And for more content from River Valley, go to our website, rivervalleyboise.com. Enjoy this message. This series, we are diving into Advent, like I said, and uh, it's a good opportunity for us to, like we've done with the rest of the fall, to use it as an opportunity to fix our eyes on the kingdom versus the world. Every series that we've done so far this fall has taken this kingdom stance. We've actually put kingdom in the title of every series, and we're doing the same thing again. We're calling this series, Season of Advent, Kingdom Come. Because what Advent really is, is it's two things. One is it's looking back at the first coming of Christ and thankfulness and gratitude of what happened when Jesus came, and we look forward to the second coming of Christ and the fulfillment of everything that he has done, right? At the first coming of Christ was the inauguration of the kingdom. Jesus talked kingdom all the time. Everything came out. The kingdom of heaven is here. The kingdom of heaven is near. Repent and believe because the kingdom of heaven is near. And then he also wants us to look forward with anticipation and expectation to his second coming. I, I, I want to just say this and speak this over you today and grab a hold of this, that we have hope. We have hope. Jesus is our hope. He's coming again. And in a world that is all upside down and all kinds of crazy stuff, I think for a second for us just to be able to stop and say, the king is coming again. This all fades away. He's coming again. In Advent, we get to celebrate this. And we we look at these four words, and uh, there's there's four, we look at these four words, and and we're going to be talking over these next four weeks about hope, peace, love, and joy. And these aren't just arbitrary words, but they're actually words that are really grounded in what we think and how we process the second coming of Christ. Because they're words that actually speak to our inner person and anchor us in a reality that the world can't give us. I I want you to think about this. The world cannot give you real hope. The world cannot give you real peace. The world cannot express, and you can't find real love in the world. And this world, you know, cannot bring real joy. And those four things are anchored in the reality of who Jesus is. And this is the beautiful thing that we get to look at through this season. So today we get to start by talking about hope, which I think is one of the most beautiful things that we can have as believers. Because if you notice right now that there's a lot of people that you talk to who are hopeless, have you noticed this, right? Uh, uh, there are people that we talk to that, that they have no reason for hope and have therefore given up on life and there's depression and there's suicide and all of this that's going around. Why? Because people have lost a hold of hope. Or actually, I think that the enemy is doing something because he's using the current situation of the world to rob people's hope. He has formulated and crafted everything that's going on in society right now to bring fear of the future. And so no matter where you look, the enemy has woven together all of these lies that have caused you to look for this hope in other things that are disappointing and that are letting us down like crazy. And so for us today, to be able to say as the body of Christ, as believers, we're going to come back to 
What is real hope? And who is hope in? We know this, but I hope today that as we spend a few minutes of the word, that we're going to be able to grab a hold of it in our spirit more. And that what happens is as we leave, we have a fresh resolve of what God's wanting to do. I want to read through a passage of scripture. I'm going to read through uh, 14 verses in the Bible. 14 verses. We're going to read through 14 verses. It's okay. It's the Bible. It's good for us. Uh, or I'm going to read uh, out of John 14. In John 14, there's this beautiful picture that Jesus is speaking to his disciples, and he's going to be laying out some things about what's going to happen in the coming days. And just like always, his disciples are going to have a hard time grabbing a hold of what he's saying. But Jesus, in his grace and compassion, is going to be able to walk them through this so that they can get, a play, get to a place of grabbing a hold of this. John 14. And verse 1 says this, Don't let your heart be troubled. This is, this is the word of God to you this morning, too. Don't let your heart be troubled. Believe, trust, have faith in God, and also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If not, I would have told you. And I'm going away to prepare a place for you. If I go away and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself. I think that that's pretty amazing. So that where I am, you may be also. You know the way to where I'm going. And then Thomas replies, Lord, we, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? The disciples just set Jesus up all the time. Every single day, Jesus replied, I'm the way. Whoa. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you know me, you will also know my Father. For now, from now on, you do know him and have seen him. Lord, said Philip, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. And Jesus said to him, have I been among you all this time, and you do not know me, Philip? The one who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own. The Father who lives in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Otherwise, simply just, just believe because of the works themselves. And verse 12, truly I tell you, the one who believes in me will also do the works I do, and he will do even greater works than these because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, I will do it so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. A powerful little chunk of scripture with a lot wrapped up in it. And, uh, and, and I want to I want to pull four things out of what Jesus talks about here. These aren't the only four things because I think you could pick so much out of this rich content, but I want to pull four things here. And, uh, and these four things are actually something as well that Timothy Keller did some writing on uh, a while ago. And he wrote about these four things and he actually wrote about them in the perspective of idols, which is kind of an interesting thing when I tell you what they are. Uh, but I want to actually weave them into our hearts as things that the enemy uses to rob our joy by getting us to hope in them rather than in Christ, okay? These are, these are the four things. The four things that Timothy Keller writes about that we're going to pull out of this, this section is comfort, approval, control, and power. Comfort, approval, control, and power. Okay, so I'm going to unpack each one of these, so, so I'll go a little bit more in depth. But like I said, the enemy wants to rob your joy. 
John 10.10, 10, we know this. He's out to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus comes to bring life and life more abundantly. So he's out to rob your joy. And how is he going to do that? He's going to get you to hope in every other thing than Christ. Because he knows that if and when you hope in anything other than Christ, it will fail you. And when it fails you, your joy is gone. Okay? This is what he's banking on. This is what the enemy is banking on, is the fact that he can, he can dangle these four in front of your nose, comfort, approval, control, and power, that he can dangle these things in front of you and get you to put your hope into them and get your eyes off of Jesus. But Jesus in this passage does a good job of redirecting us to be able to have the kingdom perspective and mindset. So the first thing, the first of these that Jesus addresses is in John 14 in in, in verse two, he says, in my father's house are many rooms. If not, I would have told you. I'm going away to prepare a place for you. Now what's at stake here and what, what the enemy tries to do in our lives is he tries to get us to exchange hope in the certainty of our future in Christ and in eternity with the comfort of right now. He, he, we have this certainty. Jesus said, I'm going away to prepare a place for you, and I'm going to come back and I'm going to get you. The, the, the security and the assurance is that he is preparing a place that's secure. There's no question mark around it. But what the enemy does is he says, listen, rather than hoping in that thing that's way out there that you don't even really know if that's going to actually happen, do you? You have no way of actually guaranteeing that Jesus is actually out preparing a place for you. He says, why don't you just have the best life that you can right now? And he gets us to hope in comfort. So what is hope in comfort? It's simply this. It's hope in what makes me feel good. It's hope in what makes me feel good. Now, as I go through these four, I want you to be listening to the Holy Spirit because I think that the Holy Spirit is going to speak to you in the area and illuminate where have maybe I put a little bit of my hope or my security or my desire in And maybe where do I need to come back into a little bit more of an alignment with Christ, okay? So be listening to the first one, hope in what makes me feel good. In the 1400s, it was very interesting because the goal, the general societal goal in the 1400s was to live a good life. And and this is what they meant when they were talking about this. It was a good quality of life. That a lot that was built around that was around your needs over your wants. What were the things that actually would build a good life for you and your kids and your grandkids, right? And so much of what they discovered would bring a good quality of life was around community. And there was also a sense of morality that was woven into everything they did. And so the the goal then was to say, I want this good quality of life that I know all centers around, this is what I need, not what I want, right? And it's built around doing life with other people, not being isolated and just doing my own thing. And I'm driven by a sense of morality. Sounds pretty good, right? So fast forward to 2021. The general, and this is based off of, of, of research, the general societal goal in 2021 is to have a good lifestyle. Not a good life, a good lifestyle. And it's all centered around feeling good and elevates wants over needs. And and it's all centered around this idea of pleasure and indulgence. I want to live in the the house that makes me feel good. 
I want to drive the car that makes me feel good. I want to wear the clothes. I want to eat at the restaurants that I want to eat at without having to worry about the, the bill. Like, this is, this is the, the facade that the enemy is presenting to us to say, be comfortable now. Just, just be okay in your skin right now. And this is the lie that he brings. Dustin, the other day I was talking, and he's, I don't think that he's actually suffering with this. But Dustin, the other day, he goes, Dad, when I grow up, I want to have two motorcycles, an F-150 Raptor, a Mustang GT, and three boats. I told him he better get one good job. And he, of course, he's, he's just thinking about things that he wants. But there is this idea of, of this, this lifestyle that we go after all the things that feel good. But hope in comfort and hope in these things that make us feel good will let us down. They will fail. And what happens is when they fail, it brings anxiety. Anxiety to our hearts because what we're looking for and what we're trusting and hoping in to give us some sort of like peace or rest fails. And we're constantly anxious. It does this thing that my mom used to, to say when we were little. It gives you the good case of the I want. You ever take your kids to the store and you're looking for a present for the birthday of somebody else and the entire time, I want, I want, I want, I want. My kids have gotten a new one now. Dad, can you take a picture of this so that you remember that I want it? <laughs> My phone is full of pictures of plastic. I mean, it's just, it's ridiculous, right? And adults struggle with this too. We just don't say I want, we just use different words. You know what would be really nice? We do the same thing, right? It's all based in this place of wanting comfort, and it leads to anxiety. And if the conditions aren't right, it actually leads to lashing out at people in anger because your world doesn't feel comfortable. It's not padded. So this is how the enemy works. But Jesus comes to bring an exchange. Remember, Jesus is our true hope. End of story, enough said, he is our true hope. And this is what the power of Jesus does. Jesus comes and he replaces comfort with peace. He's not looking at your life and saying, I'm going to give you everything to just make you have a nice, cozy, little, comfortable life. But I am going to give you a peace that will sustain you in the middle of any situation that comes your way. He's the prince of peace. He has the control and the power over peace. John 14, 27 says this, I'm leaving you with a gift, a gift, peace of mind and heart. And it is a peace that the world cannot give. This is the exchange. When we get our hope grounded and rooted in who Jesus is, then he brings a peace and it's a confidence in who he is that is not controlled by anything that happens around us. Now, would we all say in this room that we desire that? We do. We desire that peace. And I would say that for, some, for, for probably most of us, we've experienced moments of that peace in our life where maybe the situation around us is not going good. Maybe it's actually falling apart. Maybe there's no answers. But in the middle of it, we have this, just this thing that won't go away that I'm okay. I'm okay. And God's given me peace in the middle of the storm going on around it. And I believe that for you, I believe that God has a greater deposit of peace for your life. 
that as we start to process and go on this journey, that he has a greater deposit. Pastor Tim next week is going to be talking about peace. And my prayer is that in your world full of turmoil right now, where maybe even you've looked at and tried to have some sort of semblance of comfortable and, and what feels good, that, that he can come to bring a peace that stands in the middle of everything going on. Amen? Do you guys receive that? This is, this is what we're going for. Okay. The next thing that Jesus addresses in here is in verse 3. In verse 3, he says, If I go away and prepare a place for you, I will come again, and I'll take you to myself, so that where I am, you may be also. The, the idea that, that the enemy wants to mess with this verse is around this little nasty word called approval. It's this, it's this really nasty word. And the enemy wants to come and cause us to hope and approval. And this is what hope and approval is. It's the hope that people will like me, okay? Maybe, maybe for you, maybe hope and comfort doesn't mean anything or hope and things doesn't mean anything. But hope and what people think about you, well, that might grab a hold. This one is mine. This one is mine. I'll go first. <laughs> Sharing session. This one is me. This is one that I've wrestled with my entire life, is the approval of people, the constant need of the approval of people, the affirmation of people. And I would say that there has been times in my life where I've gotten fixated on that, where that has become the thing and God has become really, really small. But here's what happens is that hope in approval ensnares you to the opinions of people. Suddenly, everything you do is contingent on what people are going to think about you based off of what you say, what you do, what you wear, what you look like, how you act. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. But the enemy wants to say, listen, you're living for the approval of other people. You're living for, for what they think about you. And it ensnares you. And we know this, that if we put our hope into approval, it will fail. And it leads to these really, really ugly words insecurity, rejection, and ultimately paralysis, where, where if you put all your hope into approval, then you, can't, you get to the point where you can't, even, you can't even move. You can't even function because you're so wrapped up in what other people think about you. And at that point, that is where the enemy says, I won because I got you to hope in that and I removed your joy for living because all you're thinking about now is what people think about you. That's me. And maybe it's some of you as well in this place, right? But here's, here's the beautiful thing. This is, this is the exchange. Hope in Jesus, it replaces approval with acceptance. This is a beautiful word because approval has a bunch of work attached to it. Acceptance has nothing to do with it. There's, there's no work attached to acceptance. Did you know this, that when God looks at you, you are fully accepted and fully loved because of what his son did on the cross? When Jesus looks at your life, he looks through his son, and because of what his son did, you are accepted, you're fully loved. Every price has been paid. There is nothing that you have to do. You no longer have to earn some sort of standing before God and before man. No, you are accepted because of who you are in Christ. Isn't that beautiful? It's freeing because no longer are you going to have to try to earn your way to do anything. No, none of that means anything. You've been accepted because of who you are. Um, 
Ephesians 2 actually says that you are God's masterpiece. You're created anew in Christ Jesus for good works. You're a masterpiece. When I was little, I played with Legos all the time. And I loved building Lego sets according to the directions. But I also loved going off the grid, right? And, and building my own sets. Anybody else ever do that, right? And it was so incredible when I would get done with something and it actually, like, all of the bricks were the same color. It wasn't like the car of many colors. It was like, it worked. It was exactly what I wanted. And all the proportions were right, where I could sit the little guy in the driver's seat and put the lid on, and the guy's head wasn't sticking out. Anybody else relate? Is this just me? Oh, my goodness. You guys need to play with some Legos, y'all. That's all I'm going to tell you right now. But it would do, and you'd sit there, and it all worked. And I was like, wow, I really like this. When God looks at you through Jesus, he likes you. He likes you. He loves you. And this is the beautiful thing that even though the enemy brings a lie that you have to, approve, you have to, you have to earn your, uh, your approval, you have to earn all of this kind of stuff, that none of that exists in who he is. You're fully accepted and fully loved. And then, so this is, this is the exchange that Jesus does. And the third thing, you guys doing okay? I'm gonna bring this all here to a conclusion here in just a minute. The third thing that Jesus does in verses five and six, Lord, Thomas said, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus told him, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Notice that phrase. No one comes to the Father except through me. So what's the lie that the enemy is trying to weave? That you have control. That your life is in your hands. In fact, hope in control is hope in this. It's hope in the ability to control the world around me. Hope in the ability to control the world around me. Now, this, this is one that I think we all relate to in one shape or form. Because I think in some areas, we all try to control what happens in our life, right? And if you haven't noticed, we live in a world that's completely out of control. So how are we supposed to have some sort of semblance of control in a world that is out of control? It's this really, really fun word called trust. Trust. I'm going to get there. The interesting thing about control is that it actually stems from a desire to have certainty in life. If, if, if it's been something where you've tried to control circumstances, you've tried to control your life, You've tried to control your health. You've tried to control um, your job. You've tried to control all of these things. It gets to a place where, where it actually stems from wanting some security and some assurance in some areas of your life, right? But the issue is, is that the enemy, when he comes to rob your joy and gets you to hope in those things, is he says, this is the thing that's actually going to bring you stability rather than the one who is in control, right? This is the exchange. This is the lie that the enemy weaves into, into our lives, right? And so what happens is when, when hope is failed in the area of uh, control, it leads to fear. It leads to massive fear. And this is what you see in our world today. You talk to people and there is such an overwhelming fear that is gripping our world right now. 
Why? Because everything is out of control. There's nothing that you have control over. But, but here's, here's, the, here's the shift, is that for us as believers, we can have faith and have hope that brings control because God is in control, which I don't know about you, but I think I'd much rather like that than me being in control anyway. Because if I'm in control, there's a good chance I'm going to mess something up, right? Or if God's in control, it's secure. This is, the, this is the change. This is the shift that takes place, is that Jesus replaces, and I said it already, he replaces control with trust. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. You're not responsible for those things. You're not the way. You're not the truth. You're not the life. He is. And the shift for us is to understand that as we trust God and as we hope in him, that he comes into our life and helps us to breathe because our hands are now off the steering wheel because he's driving. Jesus, take the wheel. But it's real, right? It's real. And this is what Jesus wants us to be able to do. And, and, and here's the thing is, is, this is what I love about Jesus. He's so patient. He's so patient. Because, because how many of you in your life, may, maybe God's been really working with you on the area of control and releasing things to him, right? And, and you get to that point of like, okay, okay, here you go. I'm, I'm letting go. I'm letting go. I'm, I'm, I'm letting go. I'm almost letting go. I'm, I, I'm, I let go for a second, right? He's so patient because he's sitting there going, listen, I know that this is really hard. I know it is hard for you to not be in control. I know it is hard for things in your life to be out of whack and for you to go, I don't know what to do. But he's patient to say, and I'm right here, and you can trust me. And it's a process of getting to this place of being able to trust him. And he's happy with the process because if it keeps us coming back to him, that's the win. So in your life, do you have areas that you're still trying to control? Probably, but is that okay? As long as as you're allowing the Holy Spirit to work in those areas, it's totally fine, right? This is the beautiful thing that Jesus says. The fourth one here, in verses 12 through 14, Jesus says, truly I tell you, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do. And he will do even greater works than these because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, I will do it so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do. Here's the lie of the enemy. The lie is that your identity and who you are is contingent on the position you hold, the influence that you have, and the success that you've attained in life. In other words, the power that you have been able to wield in life. This, this, is, this is what the enemy tries to do. And, and when he tries to get us to hope in power, influence, position, success over Christ, what happens is, is it, it fails, but this is what he wants us to do. And the lie that he says is that you are less of a person if you cannot attain these things. If you do not have this influence and this success and this position in your life, then you haven't done anything with your life, right? This is the lie that the enemy weaves all the time to try to tell us that we need to have power. And, and, and a lot of times that this comes from lording it over people and bullying other people because we're trying to get to position and we're trying to get to influence. Now, there's a lot of this, I'm using very blatant um, on the end verbiage, 
But I think in a lot of us that there is this drive to want to be successful, which there's nothing wrong with that. And there's a place where we want to be able to have an influence, right? And there's nothing wrong with that. The problem is when this becomes the thing that the devil says, put your hope in that. And when you attain it, then you will have hope. And then you will have joy. When you attain the certain position and the certain level of influence, then your joy will be complete, right? When you do all these things and when you have all these people that are working under you and you've attained a certain position, then your joy will be complete. You know that's not true. But that is how the enemy works. And that's the lie that he wants to weave into us. Failed hope in the area of power leads to humiliation, rejection, and even loneliness when there's failure. When there's failure. Not if. We all fail, right? We all do things that we all mess up. And the world looks and says, well, if you mess up, you're a nobody and your joy is gone. But in God's eyes, things are totally different. So this is what Jesus does is Jesus comes and he replaces, get this, power with authority, with authority. I want you to think about this for a second. Authority is grounded in scripture. Authority is grounded in serving. Power is self-seeking. So what God has done is he said, he said, I come to give you authority. Now, how do we know that he has authority? Jesus came to serve, not be served. And what do we know about Jesus when he went up to heaven? He said this, all authority has been given to me. When Jesus served, there was an amount and this level of authority that was released on his life. And it's the same authority that he, uh, that he weaves in and that he gives to us to be able to function in the realm that he has us for. But here's the thing, here's the thing. And this is a shift for us, right? Power has a lot to do over what's right in front of us. Um, our position at work, our position with our friends, our position with our coworkers, uh, the influence we have, the success, um, uh, the title, like all of that kind of stuff. It all has to do with, with right here. The authority that Christ has given you and the authority that you have in Christ Jesus is for the unseen in the spiritual realm, okay? Now, now, now why, 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 does that, why does that matter? Those, those two things seem, seem very separate, right? Well, it's because we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but we wrestle against rulers and authorities in the unseen realm. That is where the fight is. So Jesus says, I'm not coming to give you power in this temporal world because it's, it's pointless. What I've done is I've come to give you spiritual authority that you now have authority to go against darkness in those spiritual realms. And, and, and here's, here's the very sobering thing is that for a lot of us as Christians, we still live so much in the temporal realm and never really execute the authority that we've been given in the unseen realm. And why? Because our minds are so wrapped up with everything right in front of us, right? This is what takes precedence. This is what our focus is on. And so even so much of our prayer can be put into the temporal world with temporal results and temporal things that are happening 
rather than understanding that God has given us an authority to speak into the spiritual realm, that when we pray, like Jesus said, when you ask anything in my name, it will be done. There's an authority that you've been given to execute within the realm to push back principalities in darkness, to push back the powers that rule and reign. So that when, when people are, you're, you're with somebody and they're saying, I'm, I'm having a hard time because I'm wrestling with losing my job. Well, what, what you don't want to pray for is that they keep their job, although that is a good thing to pray for. What you also want to pray for is understanding that there is a fear that is feeding that. And in the authority in the unseen realm allows you to take that before God and say, I am going to pray against the spirit of fear. I'm going to pray against the spirit that's coming to rob joy. And it enables us to be able to tap into something that is totally different than just, you know, God, give me the food I need today, which there's nothing wrong with that. But God's given us so much more to be able to get it. Here's, here's, let me just give you a few examples here. This is why it is so important for men as the head of your home, whether you have a family and a wife and kids, or it's just you in your home, or you've got roommates, there is a spiritual authority that you carry. That when you pray, that there would be an anointing and a covering over your home, over your life, if you're married, over your wife, over your kids. There is a spiritual authority that you carry, but it takes us as men of God to say, I'm going to step into a realm that you've given me authority over, and I'm going to go to war against the principalities and the powers that are trying to invade and trying to take over my home and my life. And we start to intercede and we start to pray and we start to go after God in the authority that he's given us for the realm that he's given us the authority in, right? Does this, does this make sense? Does this make sense? For, for, <laughs> for people who work in a workplace, it's to pray to break off the spirits of fear and the spirits of complacency, the spirits of apathy for your your employee, your fellow employees, right? This is what I'm getting at. This is what I'm getting at, is that we have an authority that God's given us. And the enemy would want to cause us to get rid of that and hope in something far, far less that will actually never fulfill anything. And Jesus says, I, I, don't, I don't want to give you power just for the sake of power so that you can be a certain person. I want to give you authority to be my ambassadors for what I've called you to do, right? This is the shift that takes place in our hearts, okay? So as, as, we, as we wrap it up here, does this make sense where, where, what, I was, what I was talking through today? Okay, there's a shift that God wants to do in our hearts. And as you've listened, hopefully, you've been able to identify one of those areas that maybe you, you kind of lean in. Like, yeah, I've, I've, I think I've, I've put some hope. I've put some hope in this situation being a certain way, or I've put some hope in these people, or I've, I've put some hope in those things, right? It, it, would you say that the Holy Spirit's speaking to you about one of them, two of them, right? Usually there's some that are predominant, but we all kind of have things in all the areas, right? But here's the thing, is that this shift happens when we realize that our hope is in Christ, and we go back to the whole point of this whole thing, which is to have a kingdom perspective. I want to end with this, is that Jesus in, in Mark 1, verse 15 says, the time is fulfilled, 
The kingdom of heaven is near. Repent and believe. There are some beautiful words tied up in here. And what I want to believe for us today as we, as we step into this and then also in the subsequent weeks that we understand the beautiful uh, uh, words that are used in this, in this time. He says that the time is fulfilled. In our lives, there are two ideas of time, right? And there are Greek words around these. Chronos time is the idea of the timeline. It's just, it's just life. It just goes, right? The word time used in Mark 1.15 is the idea, and it's the Greek word kairos, which kairos speaks of a moment in time. What I am believing is that today, hopefully, and over these next few weeks, that these are kairos moments. And these kairos moments are when heaven invades our world, where God wants to increase our faith and get us to approach and view him from a completely different perspective than we have before. The end of that verse says to repent and believe. The word repent is this beautiful word also. It's called uh, metanoia. And metanoia simply means to change the way you think about the way you think. So today in this moment, I want you just to, as we get ready to, to, to conclude, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray over you, is I'm praying that this is a kairos moment for you where heaven gets to invade your world and that through it, there's a metanoia, a shift that takes place by the power of the Holy Spirit, maybe about how you've approached hope before. Next week, there's a metanoia around peace. The following week, there's a metanoia around love. And finally, there's a metanoia around joy. Why? Because this is where God wants to meet us. He says, listen, you live in the world, but you're not of the world. And I, I, I want you to think from a kingdom perspective. So I'm using this as an opportunity, if you'll allow me to, to break into your world and to bring a different thought perspective to your life that results in a different way of living. Amen? Okay, let me pray for you here as we get ready to conclude. God, I thank you, Lord, that you are true hope and that in you is, is all hope. And God, I, I recognize that, that we have at times put our hope and our trust in things other than you. And, and I, it's, it's really easy to say also that, uh, that it's robbed our joy. As our hope has been put into temporal things versus the things of heaven and versus you. And God, I pray today that there would be a metanoia, a shifting, a changing by the power of your Holy Spirit that would come into this place. And that, Lord, you would help us. And, and, and God, we just want to have open minds and, and hearts for where you're wanting heaven to invade our world and to bring a shift in our approach to hope, that, God, you would have open reign to do that today. Father, I pray in those areas where we have hoped in these other things, in comfort and approval, control, power, where we have put our hope in those things, God, would you bring those to our mind and help us to realign with what true hope is? And that's you. And Father, I pray that you would do a deep work in your people. And that, God, that there would be a shift and a change that would take place, Lord, us as River Valley, that we would be a people that were known as having hope in you and what you are doing. Lord, help us to keep a kingdom mindset and to live a kingdom life and to not get weighed down with the things of the world. Lord, we ask for your Holy Spirit to breathe on us and bring life into these areas of our life, we pray. Amen. Thanks again for listening to this message. Do you know someone who'd be blessed by it? Make sure to share it with them this week.